This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Ladies, gentlemen, they, thems, I have found perhaps the one thing Republicans, Democrats, liberals, conservatives, black people, white people, brown people, straight people, gay people, believers, atheists, you name it, can all agree on. Kamala Harris is literally the worst. And the show starts now. So Joe Biden is a disaster. Not only is he cognitively out to ice cream, he's also likely a crook who sold out our nation to rich himself and his family. But as bad as he is, he is still not as bad as this. Now, secondly, I'm going to tell you the banger of the summer, okay, yeah, okay. that you need to play for your people, and they're going to love it. Okay. Everybody's going to go crazy. Okay. I like it. Yes, like this it. is the song in the summer, okay? <laughs> so you need to tell the DJ to have that going, okay? okay? okay. All right. There she is, the czar of all things, master of none, yucking it up with Bravo's Andy Cohen about her flippin' playlist. I would say she's awful at her job, but she's too lazy to do a job at all, so she's just awful, period. And I'm not the only one who thinks so. A new NBC survey shows that nearly half of Americans have a negative opinion of the vice president and... 39% have a very negative opinion of her. And that poll, by the way, was made up of 42% of self-identifying Democrats. This is a new low for Kamala Harris. And honestly, it's kind of an accomplishment to be so disliked when your boss is the big guy Joe who can't walk or talk and whose crackhead tax-evading son is the smartest guy he knows. But Kamala is so bad, the Democrats look at her, and then they look at Joe, and then they look at her, and then they look at Joe, and they pick Joe, but too bad for them. They're kind of saddled with her because they've diversity picked their way into this corner and I'm not really sure how they're gonna get out of it. I think they can, but it's gonna be expensive. I still maintain the Democrats will run Gavin Newsom in 2024, but how they get out of their Kamala Harris situation will be fun to watch. Kind of like the passage of time, how time passes in this moment we call time. Best of luck to you all over there. But still ahead, the NCAA won't protect the sanctity and integrity of women's sports, but they will fight for pot. The priorities are astounding, but my next guest says this move might be a good thing. I've got former college and pro athlete and advocate Nico Marley. Yes, that Marley on deck with his take next. The NCAA is making moves to remove marijuana from the organization's banned substance list. The NCAA's Committee on Competitive Safeguards and Medical Aspects of Sports said the association will be soliciting input from members over the summer before potentially taking action in the fall. The committee is reportedly considering this change because it doesn't consider cannabis to be performance enhancing. You know, weed has long been considered a natural drug, and while long-term consequences are still unknown, support to free the weed has been gaining steam, or should I say smoke, in recent years. So what to do, what to do. Here with his thoughts is founder and CEO of LionX Wellness, Nico Marley. Nico, it's great to have you. Hey, how you doing? Thanks for having me. So you are an expert on this topic. 
So when I saw this headline, I thought, I wonder how college athletes are going to feel about it. I have a feeling a lot are going to be pro free the weed. But you tell me why you think this is a good move for the NCAA. Well, like you said earlier, you know, it's not one, it's not performance enhancing. And two, you know, um, being an athlete and being around a lot of athletes, you know, I see how much we have to deal with. Um, I see what other people had to deal with. You know, I've been I was, you know, blessed coming up, but, you know, not everybody's like that. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of stress and there's a lot of mental, you know, mental pressure that comes along with the game, along with physical. and you know, somebody has a vice that, you know, definitely not harming anybody, not harming themselves, um, 100% not harming the NCAA, you know, why not, why not let them use that, you know, uh, recreationally when they choose, you know, um, before they go to bed, maybe have uh, take a little spliff, you know, we had long, we had, we had long days, we used to wake up at six, um, and then after class, we probably home at nine, 10, you know what I mean? So, and then wake up at six again. So why not? Do you think that it would be possible to effectively play a sport at that collegiate level while high on weed? Is that possible? Because I don't think a lot of players could show up drunk. I mean, I'm sure some do from time to time. But yeah. I think that that's probably a little frowned upon. Do you think that you should just be able to recreationally whenever you feel like it? Or should there be a time limit here? What do you think is the best case scenario in this situation? Uh, if you could perform while high, then you know, sure. I know, I know, so I know basketball players that done it, not in the NBA or anything, but you know, um, when I'm playing. But yeah, I know. But as far as football, I haven't known anybody to do it, just because you know what the game takes out of you. It's a long game, so I haven't known anybody personally to do it. But um, if you could perform, why not? So you have a CBD company, which is a yeah. little bit different from just full blown marijuana, full blown weed. Do you think yeah. that maybe just CBD is the answer? Maybe just limit it a little bit so people aren't just recreationally smoking weed, you know, for fun and the NCAA is like, yeah, we're okay with that. Do you think that there's a line there at all that shouldn't be crossed? No, no. Um, no. I mean, I don't think I I don't think it affects you in any way that, you know, will harm, you know, what anybody has going on, you know. There's no there's no ban cigarettes. So there's no ban on alcohol. I mean, as long as you're of age, you know, I don't, I don't see why, um, you know, cannabis would be put in that, in, in that space, you know, along with all the other drugs. And, you know, I also do have a, um, a cannabis company too, but, you know, based out of Michigan, you know, Lion Order, my father and I, we do that. Well, it's a great industry. I mean, people are making a lot of money off of it. But even beyond just the NCAA, just talking about weed in general here. So yeah. I'm somebody in this who I don't smoke weed. I don't care for it. I really don't care if other people do. But when you look at this national conversation, do you think the legalization of recreational marijuana has help, helped or hurt certain cities and states? When you look at it, I know that you're a businessman, but when you look at it, you're like, eh, I don't know. Maybe this is gone a little far maybe it needs more regulation or are you just like let's just free the weed everybody do what they want i i think both um it definitely helps you know a lot of different markets but you know the taxes on on um you know cannabis companies are outrageous um you know it, it makes it even hard to say even if you are making money it makes it hard to you know stay in business just with the taxes you have to pay um you know it's it's tremendously higher than any other than any other business 
And um, you know, I think I think where it, where it, where it's like weird is just the federal versus like you know state to state, right? You know, because federal it's still it's still not completely legal, and you know, it's base it's basically the government says, you know, as a state you do what you want to do, right? So some states are medical, some states are recreational, some states you can't you can't smoke at all, you can't um, sell at all, right? So I think that that that's where it gets a little funky, right? Because everybody's rules are different. Um, quality control can be a little bit, um, you know, not as good in some places, uh, and and it it kind of it kind of just makes the industry a little bit. Now you you can't you can't really grow as you as you want, right? You can't really, like expand as you want, and you can't go into different territories because of the certain licenses and all the hoops and hollers you have to go through to even get a license. And so I think that's where that's where it gets without going into too much detail. You know, that's where it gets a little bit, you know, funky. So do you have any concern at all as somebody who's in this industry about the uptick in fentanyl that's been creeping into all kinds of? recreational and street drugs. I mean, that's been a real problem. People thinking that they're buying weed and then it's laced with fentanyl. Is that something that you've seen or any concern that you have in your business? Um, you know, to tell you the truth, I have never, and you know, I'm, obviously I may be wrong, but you know, I've never seen that or heard of it outside of like certain like news topics. And I haven't heard of it until like, probably like this year maybe, but I've never heard of you know, anybody smoking weed and, and having like a fentanyl overdose, you know, and I've been in this year alone, I lost, I think about two or three people to, you know, fentanyl, but not, not weed, right. you know? So what do so, you say to prudes like me who don't care if anybody else smokes weed, but it's just not my thing. What do you say to people like me that sit there and say, you know, we don't have long-term studies on the impacts of cannabis on a growing and developing brain. I mean, is that at any in any way, shape, or form a concern to you, or do you think that those concerns are overblown? Well, uh, I don't smoke either, by the way. But you know, my my grandfather is Bob Marley. You know, I've been around herb my whole life, and you know, I you know, obviously, I haven't done all the research, you know, that other people have done. But I don't think as um, Personally, you know, all the, you know, who I've grown up with, who I've seen, I don't, I don't, I don't see it having, um, you know, any long-term effect like that. You know, um, I'm sure there's been studies, and I'm sure there's studies on both sides that tell you, you know, just depending on where you're looking, right? So um, personally, I haven't seen it, but you know, who am I to who am I to say anything? I'm an expert, but. Well, you kind of are an expert because your last name carries a lot of expertise in this area. But hey, listen, I appreciate your hustle. And I don't think it's the worst thing in the world if the NCAA gets rid of this. I think they have a lot more problems like, I don't know, men competing as women, all kinds of things that maybe they should focus on. So maybe weed isn't so bad considering. So I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to give that to you. I think that, you know, free the weed and let's just keep women's sports for women. I think that's all we ask. Yeah. And think about think about all the you know lives that were potentially ruined because you know a player was smoking weed, right? Think about you know the their future, like their future that could have been if you know I, that they didn't get kicked out of school because they decided to smoke a little herb or got caught smoking, right? Because you have random drug tests show up at five in the morning to before practice five four thirty in the morning to go um, piss in a cup. 
And trust me, I've had plenty of those. <laughs> I mean, just because of who I am. But um, yeah, so that that's kind of that's kind of what bothers me the most. You know, what um, seeing some people have to go through that when, right? You know. All things considered, it's a minor offense. So I'm all for this. I think that maybe that's an area. Uh, I myself am a conservative, so maybe conservatives can embrace this more. Give us a little street cred, a little bit of points. I'm all for that. Thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, I certainly appreciate it. And you are an expert on the topic, so never let anybody tell you otherwise. Thank you for being here, and I'll talk to you soon. Yes, thank you for having me. Appreciate your time. <laughs> of course. Let thank us. you. Coming up, Ben Carrillo is an up-and-coming singer and producer, but it's his backstory that makes his rise to fame even more interesting. From crossing the border on foot as an illegal immigrant to opening for Bad Bunny and other megastars, Ben Carrillo shares his story next. So that's just a sampling of the musical talent possessed by my next guest, Ben Carrillo. But let me give you the backstory to the backstory. I met Ben around 2016 when he was bartending in one of my favorite bars in Dallas, Texas, The Rustic. Over the years, I've been following his career on Instagram, but it wasn't until I stumbled upon this Billboard article that I had any idea about his past and what he's been through to get where he is today, opening for megastars like Bad Bunny and more. But here to tell his story is recording artist and producer Ben Carrillo. And Ben, I probably still butchered your last name. My husband is Cuban, but I am still very white, so I gave it my best try. No, you did amazing. That's perfect. <laughs> Thank you for, for having me. It's a pleasure being here. So Ben, I met you long, long ago, right? My friends and I, we called you Little Mario because you look like Mario Lopez to me. You still do. But you were always so kind to us. We loved seeing you. I had no idea, though, about your backstory. I know about your musical career because I still follow you. You've done incredibly yeah. well, and I love to see what you've done and how you've grown over the years, especially from knowing you back in Texas. But I had no idea what you went through to come over here. So I want to get into it for those that haven't read the Billboard article you came to America, you crossed the border at age 15 by yourself from Guatemala. Tell me about yeah. how you got over here and what that was like. Yeah, you know, it was, um, I, I always, when I say it, I think it was a, a beautiful experience in the way because it taught me so much, but it was, it was hard, you know. Uh, I left my country due to just the violence going around me and also um, the situation that I had at home, right? My, my mother wasn't capable of taking care of me and my two siblings. And then my father had been shot uh, and killed that year. So I just didn't see any future. There was really no, nothing else in Guatemala for me. Um, saw the opportunity, right, to, to come here because we didn't have money. I didn't have the support of my parents. I couldn't really get a visa and I didn't have any, any other chance of how can I go to the United States. And that's where, you know, I, I took the, the decision to, to, you know, cross Guatemala to Mexico and was about a 30 day journey. Wow. And, and once you get to, you know, the border, then it was about six days walking in the desert. Um, a lot of sleepless nights, very hot during the day, very cold during the night. I saw a lot of things, you know, that I... When I tell this story, I get kind of emotional, you know, because um, um, it was very hard, but you know, I made it and I'm here having this conversation with you. Um, so 
Yeah, it was a lot, but very proud of that moment too. You know, Ben, I have been to the border on six different occasions with Border Patrol, so I've seen what you've gone through from kind of a first-hand perspective, nothing like what you've seen, but I've seen the toll that it takes on people. I've been there and, and witnessed Border Patrol rescuing people. When you came over, did you come over with the help of a coyote or a smuggler? Because as I've been told from Border Patrol, there really is no other way to cross unless you've paid up to some kind of a cartel, criminal organization, coyote smuggler. Yeah, you know, it's I, I had a coyote and, and it was it was a group of people, you know, um, there was, I think, other things involved, like when we were in Mexico, we got stopped by the cartel, um, you know, with guns, with things like it was very scary at moments because you didn't know what was going to happen next. Very sad because there was people that didn't make it. You know, I, I saw many people that we try to help and so much walking days, 15 hours that you know, as you've been there, when you get there, you you have no water, you have no food, you've been, some people get lost, some people with the coyotes, they don't even like help them all the way through. So yeah, I had help with a coyote, I didn't just do it by myself. And I was also walking with a group of people through all those five days. So from my experience with Border Patrol, a lot of these coyotes and these smugglers, they tell people that it's going to be like a one-day journey, or they tell them it's not going to be that bad. They point and they say, just got to get over that mountain. And then a lot of people buy into that, and they don't realize how grueling it actually is. And you've experienced that firsthand. I mean, what was that process like? Did you dress in camo? I mean, I've seen it all. I've seen everything from wearing the carpet on the shoes to erase the footprints was this a really well-coordinated effort? Like, did you feel like this was something that they had done many times and that they were really sure they were going to be able to get you across? You know, I was like, I was so excited to leave my country because of what was happening to me. You know, honestly, if I would have not done that, I, I wouldn't have been dead because of everything around me. So I was just trusting everything you know i was like if that's what I, I gotta run i'm running whatever i gotta do i'll do so these guys have done it you know a couple of times but my I, i'm saying always i'm lucky because i made it like i said there's so many things that go on you know to the extent of rape uh people get getting killed by the cartel so it's a little sad what goes in the border thankfully for me i got lucky to made it and when i was in the desert you know i i looked up to the sky and i said god if you have a plan for me, you know, in the U.S., um, let me let me go through. If not, like, uh, you know, there's no reason for me to be there. And and I think I always had that trust in God and, and that trust in, my, in, in, in a better future for myself. If you had had the opportunity to do it legally, would you yeah. have gone that route? I mean, I know it's incredibly hard to get a yeah. visa. It's hard to do it the right way. There's a lot of people that they just don't see the upside in waiting. They don't have the money. They don't have the time. They feel like it's urgent. But you did gain legal status. It took you five years from what I read. Tell me about yeah. what that process was like and what you wish would have been different about it so you could be a legal U.S. citizen. Yeah. So, you know, like you, the, for the first question, of course, if I had the money or the parents to come legally and like go to school, you know, and I have to worry and not go through also the risk of make, maybe not making it, um, I for sure would have done it that way. That was not, you know, um, my stance. I was just looking for opportunity. I came to the U.S. and literally the first thing I did, you know, which I had my uncle and my aunt here that helped me out was go to an attorney, you know, he's here, he's on their age. Uh, he doesn't have his parents. 
had he become legal and there was really no no way for me you know there was really no chance so i just had to live here illegally um and after five years of being here you know going to school learning the language because that was the main thing for me was like i'm gonna be here and i want to learn the language so i can eventually work you know and and um after five years my uncle here in the radio that there was this thing called special immigrant juvenile status that gives pretty much residency to kids that have been you know, abuse, abandoned by their parents. And that was literally my case, uh, abandoned by my dad because of his death and then abused because of, of my mother, you know, mentally. Um, so I took the chance, it was a 50-50, you know, either I go back or I get my green card and, you know, like a miracle two months later, I ended up having my green card, you know, and in about two weeks, I'm going to do my interview to, to become a citizen. Oh, that's so exciting. You know, this is such a hard conversation because I think, you know, politically, I'm very conservative. I'm very tough on the border, right? But that doesn't mean that I don't have humanity and I don't see what people are going through. I'm sure you've seen what's going on at our border right now. I mean, we've had in the last two years, seven million come over and the situation's a lot different than when you came over. And in a lot of ways, it's a lot worse. When you look at what's happening, a lot of people coming from Guatemala, Honduras, places like that, um, what do you think when you see what's going on? It's sad, you know, and, and I understand both both sides, you know, and I think that's for me having this conversation is very important uh, to move forward with the issue because we know there is an issue, you know, in, in the legal system here. Um, once again, when I was 15, I wasn't really thinking, right, like, oh, I'm committing a crime or I'm doing these bad things. I was just trying to survive. And I think a lot of these kids are trying to survive. And there is a lot of things going on in the border that like we know of, like the cartel taking advantage of these things, human trafficking, drugs. And when I look at it, it's sad. And, and um, once again, having these conversations are very important. So to see what are the solutions and how we can move forward and understand not only my point of view, but I can also understand your point of view, you know, because countries have laws, you know, and, and in a way they have to be respected. So... It's such a difficult conversation because you are somebody that actually had what I believe would be a legitimate asylum claim. You were, yeah. you were fleeing from violence. You didn't have a good home situation. You were surrounded by death, murder, and crime. So that, to me, fits the bill of what a true asylum seeker are is. But then you've got a lot of people coming over now. They're using that asylum seeking because they want to get in. And again, I don't blame anybody for wanting to get over here. I completely and fully understand it. We've just got such an unmitigated crisis right now that it worries me that we're letting so many people come in and then having them, you know, relegated to living in the shadows like you had to do. I mean, let's talk about that a little bit too, because I always tell people what I think the American dream is, is what you're doing now, how you're gaining your legal status. You're obviously, your career is taking off, but there's a lot that, that don't have your same story that come over here. They live in the shadows. They can only work certain jobs. They have to always live under the radar, always in fear. Was that your situation for those five years? Were you constantly worried about being deported? Yes, I think I, you know, just coming from the fear of what I was living back home to fear here, you know, but I always, my, my, end, my end goal was, you know, become legal. And, and ever, ever since I was even started working because, you know, you had to survive, um, there was moments where, you know, I even had friends where like where, that were my friends, right? Saying like, oh, we're gonna call immigration on you and, and things that, that that I will always be so worried about. Is this my last day in America? 
Um, but it also, you know, I always had faith and I always had trust that that God and the universe works in my favor. And I was hoping that something was going to happen. I didn't know how for me it was like I'll become a business, you know, uh, person. And that's how I'll get my papers. And but thankfully, you know, life life brought me to that moment. My uncle hearing that on the radio and having this opportunity. But yes, to, to going back to the question, I lived with a lot of fear. Um, but now we're here, you know. Right. Well, you're doing amazing. And I mean, I'm so happy to see how far you've come. I'm so happy to hear that you got, you know, your legal status, that you're working on becoming a U.S. citizen. I mean, that is truly what I believe is the American dream. So in closing, I want to ask you what you think of certain people that were born and raised in the United States of America who think that this is an awful country, that think this is an oppressive country, a horrible country. We see it every day. People that just hate America, that have never lived anywhere else but America. What do you say to those people? I mean, I I would say you're wrong, first of all, because I this country is, I'm just so grateful, you know, to everybody around me. As much as there is bad everywhere, there is good, you know, and, and this country changed my life and not only changed my life, but changed my family's life because I came here thinking of my siblings, you know, thinking I would have never been able to even change, uh, change this music career and become what I'm doing now in Guatemala. So I think, we need to look I, there's there's a lot of wrong things you know in the legal system and things like that but we need to look at all the good things that america has done for the people and you know this this country is about freedom this country is about the american dream and i think this country has taught me about you can achieve anything you put your mind into and that's who i'm fighting for you know the dreamers not only illegals but anybody that comes from nothing and it's not trying to you know get free stuff get we're just trying to grind and make millions of dollars and, and pay taxes and, and do the right thing, you know? So that's, that's what I'm doing it for. That's who I represent. And, um, anybody that's not doing it like that, I don't represent them. You know, I'm just here for the dreamers and, and the people that are trying to move forward and, and help this country because this country has helped me a lot. Well, I appreciate your story. Where can my audience go to hear more of your music and see what you've done? I mean, your career has been absolutely fantastic. I love watching it, but where can we go to hear more from you? Yeah, so everywhere, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, I'm at Ben Carrillo, and, or Ben Carrillo, you know, <laughs> and on Instagram, TikTok, also the same. I'm everywhere. I'm making moves everywhere. So I, I, I'm online. Well, God bless you, Ben. It's great to see you from afar, and I'll be watching you and cheering for you, and thank you for being so brave and bold with your story. I'm sure it's not always an easy one to tell, but it's an important one. So thank you for taking the time. No, thank you for bringing me along and, and listening to me and having this conversation. I really appreciate it. Absolutely, Ben. God bless you. Thank you. So while dreamers like Ben have made a life for themselves here in America, the immigration process must be reformed. And Governor Ron DeSantis is leading that charge. My final thoughts are next. In 2015 and 2016, Donald J. Trump single-handedly made border security hot again. Now Governor Ron DeSantis has taken the torch and he's running with it. It's time for Final Thoughts. So I believe in the American dream, but it's no secret our southern border is wide open and it's an oozing and pussing sore that few seem to want to fix. Over 7 million illegal immigrants have made their way across our border and into our interior in the two and a half godforsaken years the big guy has been at the helm. You know, every few months, we'll see a headline or two about a couple dozen illegal immigrants getting dropped off in a blue city or some coverage here and there about the mass influx at the border with optics so astounding the media must cover it. 
for like a day, and then the issue fades from the headlines while the problem remains and our national security is tap danced on like an episode of RuPaul's Drag Race. But what's the solution? Well, Governor Ron DeSantis has one, and it's even more aggressive than Donald Trump's. If somebody is breaking through the border wall, which they are doing in other parts, uh, demonstrating hostile intent uh, or, or hostile action, uh, you have to be able to meet that uh, with the appropriate use of force. I, I don't see how you can just let them do that and, and carve through a wall on sovereign U.S. territory with a backpack full of drugs. And so we, we of, of course, of course you use deadly force. I mean, how would you let somebody, would you let somebody just break into your house and do you harm? No. And, and I could tell you in Texas, they wouldn't, they wouldn't do that. You know, try that in Texas. Why is our country any different? Changing the rules of engagement at our border is just one part of his comprehensive strategy. So here's more. First, he promises a national emergency declaration on day one, followed by mass deportations. So a lot of those people Joe let mosey on in will be moseyed on out. He also vows to continue construction of the border wall and partially fund that by taxing remittances. That's the money those living and working in the U.S. send back to their dependents in other countries. DeSantis also says he will cut off federal funding of NGOs, and that's a big one right there because these non-governmental organizations are receiving huge sums of federal and grant money to aid and abet illegal immigration, and the spigot needs to be shut off. He also calls for an end to catch and release and use of parole to sidestep immigration law. DeSantis also totally rejects this liberal interpretation of the law that mandates all illegals get a right to stay here and be processed. He says they should instead be repelled and repelled immediately. No five years wait time on a notice to appear, which is actually more like a notice to disappear. Similar to Trump, Ron wants to put an end to birthright citizenship to prevent people coming over here illegally just to give birth and use it as leverage to bring others into the fold. No more of that. But there's more. DeSantis would also deputize state and local law enforcement, allowing them to enforce immigration law, the opposite of a sanctuary city or state. All of this makes perfect sense and would set our nation on the path to cleaning up what Joe has done. We are a nation of immigrants, but we are a nation of laws as well. Let the world know that under the leadership of a Ron DeSantis, the USA will be played no more. You want to be an American? You got to do it the right way. You work for it. You earn it. And guess what? A secure border allows for more legal immigration and immigration in a respectful and dignified way. I've told you all this before, but it bears repeating. Immigration integrity and border enforcement will be the two more important pieces that will determine the future of this nation. Our elections are everything. It's time to bring this issue back to the forefront and get it done. Those are my final thoughts from Nashville. God bless and take care.